Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm excited to welcome Deborah Bednar Clark. Deborah is an executive coach and founder of her own private practice where she works guiding people through turning points in their careers, giving them clarity, confidence, and the tools that they need to plot bold moves and next chapters. As a senior executive with over 20 years of experience in leadership roles at Facebook, Microsoft, Accenture, and leading advertising agencies, Deborah became known for building thriving businesses and high-performing teams alongside some of the greatest leaders of our time. Her business and leadership expertise, along with her innate understanding of people, has made her one of the most sought-after coaches in the U.S., Deborah, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being on the show. So um, I wanted to kick off our discussion today by providing our listeners with an opportunity to learn a little bit about you as you know, an individual kind of growing up in the United States and what was going through your mind when you were a kid and you were thinking about your career and what you were going to do with your life. Can you give us a little context about Deborah in the early days? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm fortunate I'm the youngest of five. And so I had four siblings who were each really different and unique. And I got to see each of them thrive in their own area of expertise. And so it really made me question, what am I good at? What could I do that was going to add value? What was going to be unique to me? And I think when I was younger, that path looked like something in the world of communications. I had this deep desire to be a broadcast journalist. That's what I thought I was going to do. And then (laughs) as I started evolving in my my own journey, uh, I think when I got ready for college is when I started to get exposed to so many other things that I just didn't have visibility into. And so um, when I entered school, I I had an innate desire to pursue the world of psychology. And I studied that. But then I also wanted to learn a little bit more business. So I I had a real interest across disciplines. So I was really at the core of um, psychology and business and not entirely knowing how that would aid me in my future work uh, within organizations and being a people manager and now executive coach, but I'm just so grateful that at that young age, I followed my interest and learned as much as I could to bring it forward today and, and hopefully help others in their in their journey. And were you at Harvard at this point or where were you attending school? For undergrad, I was in, I'm from Wisconsin. So for undergrad, I went to a university called Marquette, Marquette mm-hmm. University. Um, and then later on, I went to graduate school at Harvard to get my master's in education policy and management. And so straight out of college, when you graduated, what did you think you were going to do with your life? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I really, you know, what's interesting is I really wanted to go into fashion, beauty, lifestyle. I, I love that space. That was another side of of me, I had a very um, inspiring mother and grandmother who were just the embodiment of substance and style. They did great things in their work, but they also really had an appreciation for beauty and how to bring that forward in your home, in your wardrobe, in your relationships, um, entertaining. And it's just something I was always drawn to. And I really, really wanted to 
tap into that creative side of myself. And for whatever reason, um, I just wasn't able to find the right opportunity that felt really aligned for me. And at the same time, I was being courted by consulting firms looking for people to code software who had the back, the academic background I had, strong math and science scores um, to help kind of advance technology. And so that I started interviewing and really getting inspired by the whole world of technology and realizing that it was such an invaluable skill set to learn and one that I didn't have. So I, I really put the fashion, beauty, lifestyle desire to the side and doubled down and learned how to code software and drive change management strategy to implement technology and really did that for the next 20 years or so in my career. Really? Wow. That's yeah. quite a, that's quite a pivot. It's a big one. Yeah. And did you find that like learning how to code from ground zero was hard back then? Oh, it was so hard. I was the only business major in a startup class of engineers and engineers across not only computer software, but electrical, chemical. Um, you know, they, they were really more accustomed to this type of domain expertise. I mean, I literally didn't even know what alt tab did on my computer at the time. I was such a <laughs> noob and I just, I, I really struggled, but I was also fortunate to be around peers that were helpful to me. And so um, they were already experts in coding software and I think probably <laughs> felt sorry for me or something. I don't know, but they were really helpful in helping me navigate and learn and try to get up to speed quickly. Um, but I will say after, you know, when you start with a six or eight week boot camp, I can't quite, quite recall, but, um, even though I was the only one that didn't really know how to code entering into this new world of technology, I was also the first one out of my start group to get staffed on a, um, a software project. And so that was, that was a really exciting moment for me. So, um, there were a lot of late nights of tears, <laughs> muscling my way, doing extra studying while everybody was out having beers. But, um, you know, I, I managed my way through. And I will say this, even though I was really scared and really doubted whether I could even learn to the level that my peers had the knowledge, having gone through that, you know, in the first six months in that role, I will say that it taught me a level of confidence that... Um, I don't think I would have had otherwise because I remember that feeling of like, oh, if I can code software, I can do anything. And because I had that huge barrier and was able to overcome it, I really feel like that's what's enabled me to kind of take risks throughout my career, just knowing that everything is going to be okay on the flip side. Yeah, that's such a good lesson to have learned and to have experienced. So where were you? What was your first company that was willing to hire you with no coding experience? It was Accenture. Um, wow. It was Anderson Consulting at the time. And I remember sitting with the, I was really surprised that they were courting me to come to the organization and code software because I did not have the technology or engineering background, but they, they really could see just the academic um, prowess that for them, that was an indicator. And then through the interview process, they did a lot of case interviewing. And I think they liked the way that I thought about problem solving. Mm. Um, and so they, they really felt like that combination was something that I should honor within myself, that skill set as well. And so 
they really saw something in me before I saw it in myself. And I am really forever grateful for having an amazing recruiter who could connect those dots that I definitely wasn't connecting for myself at, you know, 23 or whatever age that is when you're graduating college. Wow. And so how long were you at Accenture? I was there four years. And then at the end of four years, were you recruited to go somewhere else or were you feeling like it was time for a change? I was feeling it was time for a change. Um, I I had a, a double undergrad major and one of my degrees was in marketing. And I loved working at Accenture and helping clients solve their you know, to really help them automate these these manual processes through technology. But I was sort of missing what I loved most about working with consumers and helping them to figure out, like, how do you leverage marketing to help someone choose one good or service over another? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to tap more into that skill set that I that I had learned in undergrad. And so I decided to pursue opportunities in advertising. And so this is another one of those milestone moments where I was in consulting, focusing on coding software, and then and then ultimately change management at the company. Um, to get into advertising also was a bit of a hurdle because they saw me as a consultant and they saw me as a technologist. And so how could I come in and help with their clients? But I think one of the things that was really helpful is just connecting the dots for them to see the skill sets that were transferable, like, you know, working with clients, understanding briefs, how to manage clients, how to project manage, how to manage a P&L, how to manage a budget, like all of those fundamental things I learned as a consultant were also going to be really invaluable for this advertising agency um, that I was about to sign on with. And so I made the leap from consulting into advertising so I could be more immersed in creative connection and, and the consumer journey in that regard. Well, good for you. I mean, I think that's sometimes a really difficult thing for a lot of professionals to do. And and even sometimes for women who have a tendency to not put themselves out there if they don't have the experience that's required for a job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's one of the things that I I work with a lot of my clients on today in terms of how do you position package and your skill set to show others that you can do the job just because you haven't done it in the way that it's been done before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a real art and science to that, but I think you're right. Having the confidence to just know that you can do it and will do it is, is step one. Right. Right. Well, what a great gift to be able to give to a lot of professional women. I would imagine that's a, a huge need. And it's sometimes really hard I think to see in yourself mm-hmm. what your core competency mm-hmm. is outside of just the major skill sets, because you kind of take your own skills for granted or you don't really have that objective view. Absolutely. You know, I, I think one of the probably most compelling women that I worked with that was really at the heart of this challenge that we're talking about and and someone that's been in one field wanting to get into another, but maybe doesn't have for what she sees in herself, the skills that are experienced to make that transition is someone that was, who grew up as um, in a very religious family and became a minister. And it was something that she was really good at, but she didn't love. And she really wanted to move into the world of finance. And so you can imagine someone that has spent their entire career leading a congregation, not really feeling that that was in full alignment with herself and wanting really to, you know, move into an entirely different 
industry that couldn't feel more opposite at the time for her? And, and how does she even, one, give herself permission that that's okay to want to make that leap? And then two, how does she sell others on that she's capable to do the job, even though she hasn't been doing the quote unquote exact work? Yeah. And I know that obviously with the launch of your own practice and your um, your book, which we'll talk about uh, shortly, I'm sure you can appreciate that selling is something that we all need to do 24-7. And I, I personally think that if there's one universal skill we need to learn in college is how to sell yourself. Hmm. I love that. I, I mean, it's still a question I get a lot at all stages of one's career, because I think as you evolve, you know, your experiences, your skill set, your journey, it's, it's, it changes. And I think you always have to figure out how do you position package and promote yourself in a way that feels authentic to you. Um, and also feels, I don't know, I think a lot of people struggle with the humility side of that. Mm. Um, I think there's a way to, to, to revisit it or look through it a different lens where it's really not about bragging about yourself, but more so of helping others understand who you are, what you stand for, and the value you can bring and what you want to contribute to. That feels more service-oriented. And I think when you can start to look through that lens, that's that's a step from a mindset shift of how do you sort of get yourself around why that's really important um, for others to be able to understand that about you. Yeah, the whole uh, the whole issue of bragging and not wanting to brag or not wanting to come off too cocky um, is a sensitive topic, I think, for a lot of people, especially women who are raised to um, to not be that way, because mm-hmm. it's not very ladylike. Mm-hmm. Um, and as women want to climb the corporate ladder or as women want to launch their own businesses, and you're really thrown into situations where you truly have to sell a lot of people in a room on your ability to lead a company, lots of employees, uh, strategy, you have to lean into that uber self-confidence and ability to communicate your skills and your power. You do. And I think it, I mean, one thing that's helpful is to know that you're not alone. This is something everyone struggles with. I mean, I know from myself as well, I was raised with the value of humility and it took me many, many years to understand um, that you can still be humble and confident. They're not two opposing concepts. And I remember mm-hmm. when I was at Microsoft, um, I, I think I didn't get a promotion for something. I was really upset because I was doing the work, delivering the results. And I, I talked to another colleague of mine who was just always very open and candid. And she gave me some feedback that not enough people knew what I was doing. I was just mm-hmm. very heads down, focused, delivering, but to really scale your impact and influence others have to understand the value that you're bringing that was a really hard moment for me because it just felt i don't know it just felt off to be able to you know to think about how am i going to let everybody know what i'm working on and are they even going to be interested you know sort of have those moments of questioning or self-doubt and and humility and and she said it's really not about that it's really about helping unders others understand how you can aid in their journey and be of value to them and once i again sort of had that mindset shift I understood how to help others become more aware of the work that I was doing and, and how it could help them make their work easier um, and and figure out, you know, in a way how to productize that information so it didn't feel too salesy, you know, all, you know, but it took a little planning, but I think once you get in that rhythm, um, it feels more natural and you just understand that that's just part of doing business. 
Right, right. Very good point. So after you left the agency side, is that when you landed at Microsoft and then later Facebook? Yes, I was really fortunate with timing when I was thinking about making a move when I was on the agency side, Microsoft was just in the, in that moment of time where they were thinking about how to monetize their software. And so, meaning how do you monetize MSN or Bing, um, you know, what does that look like from an advertising perspective? So they needed somebody at the center of technology and advertising. And that just happened to be where I was at at that time of my, in my career. And so I was able to help them really launch from a software company into a digital company. And that was a big part of my role there. And so that was a real exciting opportunity for me to work at this iconic organization um, and contribute to their next chapter of growth. Right. And were you also um, doing strategic work there? I, yes, I did. I was um, part of my role was agency relations when I first got hired in. It, it evolved and expanded since that. But when I first um, joined the organization, they really need some, they needed someone with a strategy background as well to be able to help the advertisers across the country understand why digital mattered, why it was valuable for their business. And so we needed, an, we needed an entire strategy in terms of how are we going to market? How are we going to segment the infinite number of agencies and advertisers? Um, what's our value proposition? So it was a very holistic um, strat through execu execution kind of role to really onboard all the agencies and advertisers to commit to Microsoft in that way. And that just hadn't been done before. Um, and similarly, when I went from Microsoft to Facebook, it was a whole nother similar chapter where people on the agency advertiser side didn't know what social was at the time and really thought that was a fad. And so a big part of my role when I transitioned into that organization was, again, change management in a lot of ways, helping people become aware of what the technology was. It wasn't going away, why it mattered and how how it could work with their business. And in situations like that, did you feel that you needed some training yourself in order to be able to fully articulate the benefits for outside agencies and outside uh, partners? I did. And I think I was fortunate in all of these organizations to be surrounded by not only exceptional talent, but people that wanted to help their colleagues succeed. Um, and so, like I was saying, even when I was coding software out of Accenture, I had people around me that could help lift me up when I was learning and struggling. And I think one of the things that I started to, to really embrace is being a consumer of whatever product I was trying to market or position in the marketplace. And so, for example, when I went to Facebook, now Meta, you know, one of my managers had said to me, hey, if you're going to be out there trying to convince these advertisers and agencies to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in the platform, you would need to understand the product. And so you need to become a consumer. So I started my own product at the time. It was called DB Style. This was a way to bring my love hmm. of lifestyle to the forefront. And so I started this page, DB Style, um, that one, helped me learn the product, helped me understand the advertising um, could help me get just gain more empathy for the struggles that consumers were having, maybe on the self-serve platform, or even if it was a bigger brand, what, what they may be encountering. Um, and it, it took off, you know, it really gained like a hundred thousand followers at the time. That was a big number when I first launched it. 
Um, and it was just a great way to get my hands dirty and get myself more confident with the product vernacular nomenclature. You know, yeah. a lot of times when you're in technology, <laughs> there's it's a whole new vocabulary like any industry. And so part of, I think, training for me, in addition to the maybe the standard curriculum that was offered within these institutions, was also just to immerse myself in the products as a consumer and or almost a small business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, is how I kind of helped myself gain more confidence about what this all was. And so when you were at Facebook, uh, it's at that point that you left to start your own business. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And now looking back, we're going to talk about your business in a, in a moment, but looking back, what would you say if, if I was to bump into someone that knew you during that time and they were reflecting on your um, you know, top three skills that you were known for, what would they say about you? Well, one of the skills I hope they would say is that I built a team that could run without me, built a very high performing team, a strong culture with strong Mm -hmm. rituals and values. I I think that was really important to me where I invested a lot of my time was really helping to create this high performing team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think personally, one of the things that I've heard from a lot of my colleagues is having a very authentic brand. Um, you know, part of my journey in technology, being a woman, having a very feminine energy, um, I really showed up as myself. You know, I, I had the guys on my team hang a chandelier over my desk, <laughs> candles and flowers. Like, I really was true to who I am at my mm. core, um, even though, you know, I've got these academic degrees and strong math and science scores. I mean, there's a whole other side to me and I really showed up like that. And I think that stood out in that culture that was a very masculine energy. Um, and so that was something I think that being able to show up as yourself and really owning your brand was a skill that probably was acknowledged. And I think um, mobilizing disparate stakeholders to a common vision. That is something that I think we have to do a lot of times in our jobs is work with a lot of different stakeholders who have their own definition of success, their own agenda, their own goals, their own motivations. And for you to be successful, figuring out what makes them tick, what they value, what their fears, insecurities are, what their aspirations are, and and working with all of that to mobilize everyone toward a common goal. That was, that was one of, I think one of the things that enabled me to launch a lot of really big initiatives throughout my career, because I, I could never have done that alone. Like I always needed to partner with product and tech or product and engineering and marketing and comms. And so that mobilization of disparate stakeholders um, is something I, I think I really honed uh, in those roles. That's a huge, huge talent, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Well, you know, I learned a lot about it when I actually went to graduate school. I I, I was um, the only business major in a school of, you know, principals, superintendents, policymakers, really trying to evolve the U.S. educational system. And one of the things that I really valued from my colleagues who are very different from, you know, myself and my background was you know, to create change in education, you also have to get parents, unions, teachers aligned. And I would hear all of these different 
case studies. And, um, it's just something I started to realize. I'm like, Oh, that's the same thing that happens in business too. And so I think like that exposure to a different industry that also had a similar challenge just helped me understand that there's patterns and themes that can, that can work even if it's in a totally different arena. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were considering kind of your next play after Facebook, can you share with us kind of what was going through your mind? What was missing? What you wanted to explore? Did you know you wanted to start your own practice? No, I really didn't. I, um, I just knew that where I was, I had learned everything I thought I could learn in that space at the time. And so I was at that moment, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever felt this way where you know you're ready for something different, more new, but you don't yet know what that is. Um, but if you stay any longer, you might turn into someone you don't like. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was one of those moments yeah. for me. And I, you know, it was a very unorthodox decision for me to take a leap into the unknown without having anything planned. I mean, I really, I just knew I needed, it was time to go. And I think I, I left on a high note, which is, it's, it's the way you want to leave. And, um, I took some time and, and really just sort of let myself discover and be open. Um, I, I always knew I wanted to do something more with people and culture. That was something that I, I really appreciated. But I was also looking for ways to sort of think about how to bring my love of fashion, beauty, and style into the work that I was doing. Um, I also like the idea of working with a lot of different people. Um, and so I just sort of was trying to collect and connect dots at the same time. And so what I started to do was slowly but surely um, interview and explore. Nothing really felt 100% aligned. A few things got really close. So I decided to consult. And consulting was my way of exploring some independence and just seeing how I felt about that. And I liked it. Mm. Um, and I was doing a lot of strategy work and digital um uh, technology transformational strategy consulting kind of work. Um, but again, even though that was something I was really good at at the time and known for, I was really just noticing throughout all these organizations that I was working with that the to topic of people kept coming up in terms of people looking for ways to add more value in their career, make a bigger impact, um, be more aligned with who they are as an individual. Like those were always the conversations that I would have in the hallways that I actually wanted to be focused on. And so um, that's when I decided to start my own executive coaching practice that would enable me to really help people build a career that they loved and one where they felt aligned personally and professionally versus separating who they were from what they did. And so mm -hmm. Um, that was a general organic process. And now I've been doing that for, you know, almost a decade and it's, it's, it's been really rewarding. So, so share with us your, your practice focus now from, um, from our conversations. I, I know that you're working with senior C-suite, mostly executives dealing with a, you know, probably a very broad range of, uh, issues and topics and, uh, goals that they want to, um, solve for, but is there some kind of um, thematic thread that you would pull through your practice in addition to what you just shared that you feel keeps coming up that's really kind of timely to what's going on in the world right now? Well, I think one of the through lines that I've seen, because I coach a lot of executives and I also 
coach a lot of their teams. So I happen to be that person in between these two stakeholder groups. And one of the consistent themes I see is that CEOs or C-suite executives really want their teams to feel more empowered. And every individual that I work with wants more ownership. And there's just something that's happening in between. And so that's an interesting through line for me because I think what I've been able to unpack through these conversations is the role that your mindset plays in this in terms of one, giving yourself permission to, you know, create a career that feels aligned for you. And then it's also how do you create a culture that enables you to show up in the way that you want to. And so there are these two through lines that I think are important. So we talk a lot, you know, in the culture, you hear a lot about bringing your whole self to work. And I think part of that requires you understanding who you are, which definitely requires a lot of reflection, um, a lot of assessment, a lot of aspiration and dreaming. You know, there's a lot, there's a, there's a big piece of that that I think people just don't have the space to do for themselves or they may not have the right questions to ask themselves and, or sometimes it's, I shouldn't say sometimes, most times it's really hard to connect the dots for yourself. And that's, that's something that I really enjoy helping people do. And then on the flip side of that, it's like, well, how do you help people that are really instrumental in shaping culture be okay letting go um, and letting other people lead like themselves and in their own way? And so um, that's just an interesting big, big space that I've been really navigating through for the past few years, I would say. And have you found with the great exit that some of your clients are transitioning out of the corporate side and considering starting their own business or retiring or what do you see? I think one of the common themes I hear is that people are very focused on how they're spending their time. And whether you're a working mom or caring for an aging parent um, or someone earlier in your career, you know, work needs to have meaning. Like if you're spending time working on something, it needs to have meaning for you. And so there's just a real sensitivity that there needs to be value. There needs to be alignment there. Um, it's this, it's just not a job for job's sake. And I think the great resignation, the great reshuffle, you know, the great reassessment is really what's happening right now. Like how am I resetting my operating system? I think that's the other piece that's that's come forward for me is that I think people are also not just thinking about the time, how I'm spending my time, but how do I want to work? Um, you know, I have a client that is wanting to move from the U S to, you know, outside of the country. She wants to work nine months out of the year instead of 12. She wants to work three days out of the week instead of five and make the same compensation, work with the clients that she wants to work with and do the types of things that she wants to do. Now, I would say most most people would probably have a similar aspiration. <laughs> um, and, you know, what I like in that too is like she's resetting her operating system. She's, she's actually being honest with like, how do I want to work? What do I really yeah. want? And I think that to me has has really been a big insight from what we've all navigated through with the pandemic. And then it becomes once you have clarity for yourself and what that is, and you give your permission, you give yourself permission to know like, yeah, I actually can make that happen. Then it becomes, okay, how? And that's, you know, that's another aspect of what I'm here for is to help people figure out, well, how do you make that happen? Um, But I think like the first part, I I don't want to under, 
undermine it the first part because it it it's a very important part for someone to be able to actually have the space to think about well what what is my new operating system what do i want and to not feel guilty about that i think that's a big piece that most people are really excited to work on um but i think i'm seeing more and more people wanting to give themselves permission to start to think like that yeah 100% i i definitely also see that on the entrepreneurship side where more and more women uh, in my particular case are stepping up to pursue their passions and kind of their heart-centered work. Sometimes the struggle with that is you get caught up in the how and then the how delays or sometimes self-sabotages your plan because you feel like it's unrealistic, it's too difficult, too expensive, mm -hmm. you talk yourself out of it before you allow yourself to really fantasize about what is it exactly that I really want regardless yes. of the how. So if you can be really purely focused on the uh, on the path and what it is that you want to do with your life, then they can reach out to great people like you to figure out, okay, what's a good execution strategy? Yes. I, I mean, one of my phrases is don't stop before you start. Mm -hmm. So uh, we stop ourselves a lot of times. If someone's like, well, what do you really want to do? You immediately kind of, you, you know, you sort of when something comes forward for you internally, a lot of times you will naturally think of like, oh, that can't happen. Or you'll think of the barriers or the obstacles. And that happens a lot um, in conversation. And so that's really step one is just letting yourself put it all out there. And then let me help you connect the dots about how this can um, come to fruition. It's why when I start working with people on creating their next chapter in their career, I don't start with role. I don't start with title. I don't start with company, which is where everyone typically starts. <laughs> I actually start with interests where mm -hmm. I give them two weeks and I have them keep a tracker and they just need to capture every single one of their interests or whatever comes forward for them that sparks for them. It could be, you know, I had one client like luxury cake making or mm -hmm. dip tea candles or gardening or um, sci-fi thrillers or historical fiction. And so all of these disparate interests may not make sense to you out of the gates, but you know, when you're working with a strategist or an executive coach or someone that can be objective and look at the data, you can form a pattern and a through line of what this is all laddering up into to help someone figure out like, oh, here's what I'm seeing across all of these seemingly disparate interests this is where the strategist in me come for, comes forward. Um, this is what this yields. And, mm -hmm. oh, okay, then let's think about all the different industries and then companies and then roles that this could translate into. That's a very exciting and fun process for people. But again, in the beginning, it makes people feel a little uncomfortable. Like, how is this going to get me a job? I, you know, I need to make <laughs> right. money. And right. I just like, just trust the process. We'll get you there. Right. So after having done this for 10 years, um, talk to us about the book and how you kind of transitioned to thinking about creating what I like to call kind of IP value. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to find a way to be able to serve more people who were trying to figure out what's next, the next chapter in their career. And so working one-to-one -one is, is great, but I can't reach as many people. I mean, you can imagine people coming out of college or trying to figure out what's next people that you know, our later stages of their career trying to figure out what's next. And for me, I really wanted to productize the the, the framework and the approach, um, the questions you need to ask yourself, the exercises that are really helpful to help you curate 
all that's ahead. And so I have been working over the past four years and putting all this together in, in a way that feels light and fun, but reflective and thoughtful. Um, and so I package it into a self-guided workbook that I'm now bringing forward um, this summer into a cohort course. And so one of the things as I was doing some research groups around this, around the book that was really helpful for me to hear was that people love the process. Um, they thought it was really provocative and insightful and thoughtful and was helping them make progress. And they also loved the idea of working alongside others who are going through a career transition to help them ideate and pressure test their thinking or help them think differently and have a different perspective. And so I'm really excited to launch a course now that's going to be an eight week guided course with me doing spot coaching, but then also having peers alongside you to be supportive, collaborative, and also hold you accountable in terms of doing the work and being consistent with it to help create this next chapter. And how do you see that different than your current groups, if you run any? I do. So the current groups that I focus now, the topics vary every week. So yeah. And so what I do with the female uh, circles or coaches or sorry, groups that I lead, um, we will always do a pressure test or check in and what's happening in real time events and give leadership insights around that. And then we always open it up for what leadership challenge are you currently navigating? And so the real time leadership challenges you can imagine are, are wide and varied and deep. And we tackle each one. It could be something around executive presence. It could be dealing with a toxic client. It could be dealing with a team that doesn't value high standards. I mean, these, these topics range every week across so many different organizations and industries. And we really help each other um, with tips, tricks, and scripts to kind of help women confront and challenge and navigate through all of these. So the, the topics are very varied. What wasn't in the market really was a very focused dialogue around creating your next chapter. That was mm-hmm. a committed eight-week journey because that's really what it takes to figure this out. It's You have to get strategic um, to help you achieve a goal. And so that, that didn't exist. And so I wanted to really focus on a very, a very specific topic to help those that are in, in that state. And, uh, what is the, is, does the workbook have a name yet or are you still in development mode? I'm still in development mode. I had a I had a name, but then I just changed it last week. And so to be determined, you'll, I'll let <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it'll be good though. I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. So one of the uh, one of the goals of um, of my podcast is to really share with our listeners different strategies that save you time, money, and help you gain a competitive edge when you're bootstrapping your business. And I always like to ask our um, our guests for kind of you know top three secret strategies that they use, and it can be time management tricks. It can be books that you've read that you think are amazing. Um, it can be productivity tools. So uh, would you mind sharing some of your top three that you think have really helped you to scale your own business? Well, yes, I'm happy to share those. Some of the things that I've leveraged is building a board of advisors, which is free for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, just surrounding myself with experts in areas or disciplines that I don't have an expertise. And that has been invaluable because it saves me a ton of time, energy, and budget to tap into individuals who I think um, often have resources that I can leverage. Um, I've built a fantastic team of freelancers around for me. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is 
tapping into emerging talent that that is in the graduating stage right now. Um, I when I think when I first started my business, I was working alongside um, a lot of great talent, but it was really costly for me. And one of the things I started to do is just deconstruct the work and find people that were earlier stages in their career to help be great collaborators. And that's been really invaluable as well. Um, one of the time, um, time metrics that I use for myself is something called the golden formula. It's a very helpful tool to think about, am I spending my time on the right thing? So a lot of research has been done around how the most successful CEOs spend their time. And there's a, a formula that they've constructed called the golden formula, which is 40, 30, 15, 15. And what the research showed was that they're spending 40% on future oriented work. So this is everything that has to do with not your day-to-day -day job. It's all of the things that you're aspiring to, the places you want to explore that you haven't yet pursued. Um, the 30% is the strategy and execution of the day-to-day. 15% is on market competitive research intel. Again, it could be in or outside of your industry to spark curiosity and exploration and innovation. And then the other 15% is on your own personal development. And so part of what I try to do um, every month is just sort of revisit how I'm spending my time and whether or not I am also building for the long-term while I'm executing on the short-term. So that golden formula, the 40, 30, 15, 15 has been a good guiding principle for me. And how do you factor in actually time to execute your your business, your work product? Well, that is a, a constant focus for me in terms of reconciling when I need to speed up and when I need to slow down in that area. One of the things that I've started to do, I found more efficiencies working with fewer partners, but going deeper with them. Mm -hmm. I think when I first started out in this practice, and I don't, I'm sure other listeners might be able to relate when you're in a service-based industry that, you know, I, I had a real deep bench of clients across a lot of different industries. And I think it took, it takes a long time to really build those relationships and get in deep to be able to be super effective in the type of work that I'm that I'm leading. And one of the things that I've started to move more toward, and again, kind of talking about recently my, my own operating system is finding fewer partners that I just want to go wider with. Because once you already have those relationships, you understand the culture, you understand the people, you can be that much more effective more quickly in those engagements. And so that's been um, really helpful for me. And I'm, I'm always looking for ways to productize. So for example, um, I was in an agency last week giving a keynote on how to be the CEO of your career. Um, and that's been an example of a product, I would call it, where I can go into a lot of different organizations and have a fundamental methodology, but then speak specifically to what's going to be relevant for them versus creating something from scratch. So I find small mm -hmm. ways like that too, to, you know, just sort of gain more leverage out of the assets and work I've already created mm -hmm. um, because it's valuable. And so I'm trying to think about ways of doing that too, to save time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I have one last question for you before we uh, wrap up for today. So here we go. If you could wave a magic wand, what one thing that drives you crazy do you wish someone would find a solution for that would help your productivity and or sanity? Oh you know, the very first thing that came to mind before you yeah. said productivity was what? some type of tool that could help me understand 
what Hank, my Bernese Mark, mountain dog, is saying when he's barking at me all the time. That is honestly, <laughs> if somebody could come yeah. up with that, that would be great. Um, for, for, that is, I have no idea what he's asking for all the time. Um, professionally speaking, I think, I think someone that could help me scale what's personal, meaning I think I can think about, I, or maybe I should say it in a way of like scaling to add more influ impact and influence, but not losing heart and connection. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, yeah, I have not yet mastered that, but that is what I'm always striving for. And I think that I would love to be able to understand how you maintain that personal connection. Cause that, you know, in executive coaching specifically, um, it's a very, very personal space. People are very vulnerable, very raw, very honest, you know, and it's very humbling to be on the receiving end of someone's leadership journey. Um, and to do that at scale and to offer people that level of intimacy, I haven't quite mastered. So if there's a magic mm. wand, oh my gosh, that would be, yeah, that'd be lightning in a bottle. <laughs> That's a good title actually for your book. <laughs> I love it. Okay, good. Um, all right. So if our listeners would like to reach out to you, would you mind sharing your website or how they might get in contact with you? Yeah, they can go to DebraBednarClark.com. Um, all the background, journey, example, services, social feeds are all located on my website. And so hopefully people um, will find what they need there. And if not, they can, um, my email contact information is there as well. And would you mind spelling the URL? Sure. It's D-E-B-R-A-B-E-D-N-A-R-C-L-A-R-K.com. Great, great, wonderful. Well, it was wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much, and good luck with your book. I know it's going to be a big success. Thank you, Fernanda. I really appreciate it. Thank you again, and tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will help you save time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week.